Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Those of you who listen to this show regularly will know that a couple of episodes ago, I had a conversation with my colleague, uh, Blaze Elaine, about how to discuss assisted suicide, which is unfortunately an ever-prescient issue here in Canada. Most of you will know that uh, euthanasia was legalized by the Justin Trudeau government on June 17, 2016, at the behest of the Canadian Supreme Court court. However, the issue has once again become prominent because our government is posed to pass Bill C-7, which dramatically increases the number of people who are permitted access to assisted suicide. Now, one of the most horrifying things about the implementation of this essentially suicide regime is the fact that while the Liberal government pays lip service to the idea that Canadians should have access to alternatives such as hospice care, such as palliative care, the the reality on the ground is that a very small minority of Canadians actually have access to these services, and we're watching the number of people applying for assisted suicide spike month over month, both due to, you know, the despair induced by COVID-19 lockdowns and the lack of access to their loved ones. Well, up to 19,000 people, according to recent data, have requested and received assisted suicide in Canada since its legalization. And as the remaining safeguards are stripped away, this number is sure to dramatically increase. But there's an even more ugly and vicious aspect to this story. One of the fascinating things about the Canadian debate surrounding both abortion and assisted suicide is the fact that uh, suicide proponents and abortion proponents have been relentless in targeting any person or institution that does not agree with them, essentially attempting to remove conscience rights and insisting that those who will not at least refer for these services are somehow damaging to patients. Uh, The irony, of course, being that they refuse to kill patients or refer them to somebody who will. But there's an unfolding story in British Columbia that is, it's just really, really tragic uh, to consider what's taking place here. So in February of 2018, the board of the Delta Hospice Society uh, from was given an edict from Fraser Health, this is in British Columbia, uh, ordering them to provide euthanasia or medical aid in dying, as it's euphemistically called. And at the time, the board of the Delta Hospice did not comply with the edict and continued their good work providing hospice care. In December of 2019, the Delta Hospice was ordered to provide euthanasia or lose government funding. Get that. If they refused to essentially kill their patients on demand, they were going to lose their funding despite the fact that there's a shortage of available palliative and hospice care in Canada. The Delta Hospice again refused to crumble under pressure. In February of 2020, Adrian Dix, the BC Minister of Health, you'd think he'd have better things to do, gave notice that the funding for Delta Hospice would cease on February 24, 2021, unless the Delta Hospice changed their position and permitted euthanasia. And again, of course, the Delta Hospice refused. So now the BC government is continuing their attack on the Delta Hospice Society, even after the Canadian Hospice Palliative Care Association and And the Canadian Society of Palliative Care Physicians stated that euthanasia is not consistent with the philosophy, intent, or approach of hospice palliative care. And it's not like there's a shortage of doctors in Vancouver willing to carry out assisted suicide. It's simply that this hospice refuses to provide suicide to its patients. Well, now the government is coming after the Delta Hospice and... As it turns out, their opposition to killing their patients means that it will be defunded by the BC Ministry of Health and that will 
it will be essentially expropriated by the Fraser Health Authority next month if nothing changes. And so to discuss that horrifying turn of events, I'm going to be having a discussion uh, with a representative for the Delta Hospice, Angelina Ireland. This is this is just really just consider for a moment that there's a shortage of palliative care and that instead of working to provide more palliative care, more hospice care, the BC government's actually going after a small hospice that's been providing essential and invaluable care to give people's lives dignity. This is real end-of-life care, and they are targeting this hospice. So joining me to explain what's going on and what comes next is Angelina Ireland. All right, Angelina, maybe you could just start by sharing with our listeners what your position is with the uh, the Delta Hospice Society and what's been going on here for the last couple of years. Right. I am the president of the board of directors of the Delta Hospice Society. Um, I came to the society about seven years ago as a client, as a cancer patient. And after I recovered to uh, good health, I decided I needed to give back to the society. So I've been working with them ever since. Um, I've been on the board of directors for the past few years, and then last year, I became president. Um, we have been fighting this edict of MAID, medical assistance in dying. Uh, we are a palliative care society. Uh, we have been a palliative care society for 30 years. And ever since MAID was introduced, um, it basically has been expected that every um, healthcare facility, every bed in British Columbia is somehow now expected to provide MAID, which of course is euthanasia. And we have resisted. Um, our service agreement with the Fraser Health Authority uh, never states in it that we have to provide MAID. It only states that we have to provide palliative care services. So, you know, we have stood on that. We are a palliative care society with a palliative care facility, um, and we have just refused to provide euthanasia. That is not what we do. It's not part of the medical discipline of 40 of 50 years. And it's not something that we will ever um, be doing in our hospice. So, so one of the things that that I'm a little bit confused about when I'm going through the timeline of what, what's been happening to you folks is, at what point in 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 the, in the debate after after assisted suicide was legalized in 2016, uh, did somebody look at 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 your facility and say, "Wait a minute, they're not providing assisted suicide"? Because my understanding of the data is that there's an enormous shortage of hospice care and palliative care in Canada. And so it seems like a very odd thing to be focusing on that this one small hospice uh, isn't facilitating lethal injections and are instead just providing hospice care. So when when did these troubles begin, as it were? Well, I think we've had activists going, going after us. That's what it was. I mean, we're a small 10-bed hospice, um, you know, about 20, 25 minutes outside of Vancouver in a small community. You know, we're hardly high profile, but, you know, people like Dying with Dignity Canada have been um, lobbying the government, lobbying the Fraser Health Authority, pointing out people, uh, you know, trying to blow some kind of dog whistle that their people aren't doing made like they're supposed to be doing made like everybody, you know, in this country is supposed to do made. It's not true. Um, so I think that's where it started. You know, they went after Jim Sinclair, who's the chair of the Fraser Health Authority board. And, you know, said to him, they're not doing it. So you make them do it. 
Um, and other than up to that, you know, we've had a very good relationship with the Fraser Health Authority for 30 years. Um, and just recently, so it was last December, um, so a year ago, December. Um, actually, we were in receipt of emails um, going back to October where Dying with Dignity Canada was trying to get into our hospice, um, you know, trying to cause trouble and have been re basically reporting us that, you know, we're not providing. Um, and before that, the Fraser Health Authority was very happy to allow us to do the work we've always done. Um, and, I, and I will say with an exemplary record in a flagship hospice um, and community supported. So basically, that's where it started, I believe. And so, as I understand this, Dying with Dignity went to the Fraser Health Authority, complained about the Delta Hospice, and then when when did the government start to take action on this and make demands? Very quickly thereafter, by December. So they were they were you know reporting us in October. By December, we got letters. Um, I was summoned to a coffee shop uh, to meet with an executive from Fraser Health. Um, you know the fact that we didn't even get get an appointment with them properly to sit down with our board is very telling. So at this coffee shop, um, I was told you will provide made or we will take your funding away and that will be the end of you. Uh, and that's how we were told. And we said, well, that's not something that we are able to do. You know, we have a constitution in this private society. We have a membership um, and, you know, both are committed to palliative care and palliative care does not include made euthanasia, assisted suicide or anything else, you know, that they're calling themselves these days. So it was after that. So January, uh, February came. Um, we had a couple of nasty letters. In the meantime, by February of last year, we received a letter telling us that our service agreement had been canceled uh, and we had one year. So they had to give us basically a requisite one year notice, which they did. So we were told a year from then, which is going to be February 2021, our service agreement will be finished. And, they're, and now they're basically evicting us from our, our own buildings. So you're fired and get out. That was their that was their answer to us. And you own these buildings, or you rent these buildings? No, we own these buildings. The, we fundraised nine million dollars to build these buildings in the community. We fundraised a one hundred percent for palliative care. Not one nickel of it was fundraised for euthanasia. So, but we built it on Fraser Health Authority land. You see, that was our mistake, and we had a thirty-five year lease. So that thirty-five year lease has been. Well, it's going to be canceled. We still have 25 years left. And because we can't pick up our buildings and take them off with us somewhere else, they're going to claim everything that's left on the land, which is our buildings. And then presumably they want to start a service that does provide MAID or what is their plan? I really don't know. I have no idea what their plan is. Um, they have not, you know, over the year we have provided many creative solutions, we believe. You know, each one of them to be rejected. Um, we have been told ultimately, look, we at one point we even said, listen, just keep your money. We don't need your money. You know, we'll fundraise. We have a business. We will raise the money and we'll carry on privately. So forget about the government funding. No, not allowed. Not allowed to do it. So at this point, um, we are, we have no other option. We are, we're out. So Help the listeners understand how we got from assisted suicide is legal in Canada to any organization in the country that wants to provide hospice care, palliative care, uh, or end-of-life care that does not include death. Um, 
has to, on pain of having to give up their facilities and lose their government funding and assistance, provide this. Because to a lot of people, that's going to sound insane, particularly due to the fact that we're facing such a shortage of palliative care and hospice care. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I mean, I think only about 35% of Canadians actually get palliative care, right? So we, we need to protect these palliative beds for palliative care patients. And I believe that actually British Columbia is the only province that is insisting that every you know, publicly funded bed has to provide MAID. Um, where they came up with this, uh, for me, I, I believe it to be highly political, highly ideological. Uh, it's not medical, you know, because the World Health Organization, you know, every palliative care physician in this country and their associations will tell you that palliative care does not include euthanasia, never has, and it never will. So you've got a kind of a rogue government with a rogue health authority deciding what it is they want to do with their money. But in fact, it's taxpayers' money. And probably 95% of these taxpayers want palliative care and don't want euthanasia. You know, we're only looking at about 5% of Canadians who really want to jump on this euthanasia train. But the rest of us now become disenfranchised. So now we have no rights to be allowed to stay in a facility at the end of our life that does not include euthanasia. And we're not allowed to, you know, have just a, a sanctuary uh, where we, no one will talk to us about MAID, no one will talk to us about euthanasia. So, you know, that apparent right has been taken from us and any other privilege we have as a citizen has been revoked. How legally speaking, can they simply cancel your lease like that? Well, we now look, we, you know, I mean, first of all, you know, you can fire anybody, right? All you need to do is either pay them or give them the requisite notice. So they fired us now because in the lease, it says, if you're not going to get some government funding, then you can be in default of your lease. So they sort of set it up nicely where they'll fire us, won't give us any money. And then because Elise said, we have to have some kind of money from the government or else we're in default. They can just, ah. right. They can just uh, cancel the lease. So it's everything is really written for their protection and their advantage. Um, there's no benefit to us um, at all uh, when it comes to getting on the wrong side of a government that really rules by fiat. Has there been any political opposition uh, to the NDP? I, I'm, I'm, I was very familiar with British Columbian politics because that's where I grew up and that's where I did uh, all of my first voting. Uh, but I, I do know that the BC Liberal Party has gotten substantially more uh, left wing uh, in, in the years uh, since, since Gordon Campbell's tenure. So is there any pushback from any party uh, to what the NDP is currently doing to your hospice? Well, there's, there's certainly no pushback by the BC Liberals. In fact, our riding is uh, has, a, has a BC Liberal MLA in it. And he has got to be among the worst who's you know led the charge against us. Mm. Um, this, this particular MLA, Mr. Ian Payton, has not even called us ever. We've called him to try to speak to him. He's never called us, never spoke to us, never looked at our documentation, never tried to understand what our position is, how he might act as a mediator. Um, in fact, he's gone, you know, full on with the slander and the vitriol of recent days on Facebook um, and in the media, um, you, you know, calling us all kinds of horrible things, um, saying we're on a right wing crusade, you know, that it just goes on and on like insanity. Um, and so we have no support there. The mayor of our town of Delta has also attacked us and the, him and the council have canceled our 
Um, it's called a permissive tax exemption, but basically it's a property tax exemption on the store that we have there because we have a secondhand store and all the money that we have is income we put into these programs for palliative care. So the council um, has canceled that. So now we have to pay $25,000 a year in property tax um, to the city because we refuse to kill our patients. So, you know, they've ganged up on us. I, I'm not sure if they're trying to figure out who can be you know, more, more macho when it comes to trying to deal with us, but neither one of them has spoken to us, called us, tried to look at any of the paperwork, any of the documentation, and yet they go publicly and say that we're negligent. So we have absolutely zero support on the political front right now. Why is opposition to assisted suicide considered a right-wing thing? In fact, the first law put forward on assisted dying in Canada was by a conservative MP, and there's plenty of libertarians who support it. So this is just part of part of your, your ethical framework, which is shared by most palliative care physicians. So how is this being portrayed as some sort of right-wing crusade? Well, exactly. Because, you know, look, we've never said anything about MAID. The debate is not about MAID. The debate for us, it's not even a debate, but our position is that palliative care does not provide it. And if you want it, you know, if you want to have MAID, you can go right next door to our facility, not even 100 yards, and you can have MAID. So it's not like we're trying to limit access. Um, I think that it's just, like I said from the beginning, it's very ideological um, from a position that, you know, you must do what you're told. I think that's ultimately the position here. You know, you, you can't have a, you can't have a different uh, idea from, from what the government's telling you. Um, and, you know, so it's very difficult to try to even speak reason uh, to people who don't want to listen to you. There's no place for dialogue. Um, we, we don't consider our position of palliative care to be right-wing or left-wing. We just consider it to be medical, right? A medical discipline. Right. Uh, this is actually like, this is a national treasure. Palliative care is a national treasure. But I think it's easy to try to label us as, you know, crazy fanatics and religious fanatics and right wing, blah, blah, because then you can if you discredit us, then you don't have to listen to us. Um, so I think that's what the strategy is. Ultimately. What is the response from the community, Ben? So we have not had look. There, there's people who do support us in the community, but they're not loud. The ones that do support us or do not support us are very loud. Um, they've gotten together, uh, made a little group um, by that was created by some board members that were thrown out, that the membership did not want to elect again. They were thrown off the board because of their position about made and euthanasia in the hospice. The membership did not support it. So off they went. They created an advocacy group. They got on Facebook. They started organizing. Um, and they got people like our MLA and our mayor on board. Um, and you know, that was it. So they've had rallies. They've gone after us 24 seven on Facebook with a kind of hatred and vitriol that should be banned on Facebook, except it's not because it, it you know, sort of part of the agenda of, of the progressive left. So they're fine. They can say whatever they like, but so they've had, they've had a tremendous amount of success in again, trying to just discredit this position. Um, and even talking about how palliative care can have made in it, which is just nonsense. But, you know, they, they have some people who are listening and some and some people who are, you know, in the government that are listening. So we haven't had support from our community at all. 
What has the response of the residents been to all of this? Are they able to stay in the facility? Or are they going to have to find somewhere else to go? Well, we, you know, we take care of our patients and our staff and uh, everything until the last second. So, you know, we're our we've been told by as of February 25th, uh, we're not going to be allowed to have patients anymore. Um, our service agreement is finished. We get our patients from the Fraser Health Authority. So I don't know. They haven't communicated with us what they plan to do. Uh, they haven't communicated with us what they plan to do with our building, uh, what they plan to do with our staff. We have just been left out in the cold. The, the most that we can find out is from what we find out from Facebook when the people like our MLA post about it. Then we can sort of find out what's what's going on. But no, we've been shut out. No one will speak to us. Um, and they're just, you know, going to march forward, I suppose, and, and expropriate our private property um, and, and feel good about, you know, what it is they're doing. We know that as long as our patients are in our care, we, we, we take care of them. Um, very well, and we protect them, and there's no no maid allowed in our facility, um, and, you know, we do the best that we can. Is there any other legal resource, court challenge, any avenue left, or have all avenues been exhausted, and this is sort of the end of the road? Well, no, I believe that we do have an avenue, and that has to do with Bill C-7. That's currently within the Senate, in front of the Senate, and I believe that there is a place there to have an amendment to include safe spaces. You know, this is where the federal government needs to get involved. When you see this kind of bullying happening, uh, expropriation of private assets happening down here on the ground, you know, this is when the federal government needs to say, you know, these people have a right to their conscience and these and Canadians have a right to safe spaces and hospice sanctuary. So we are asking the Senate to put forward an amendment in Bill C-7 to allow for safe spaces that would protect places like the Delta Hospice Society from being taken out, taken over, run, run out of town, um, and allow you know people who want that that choice at end of life um, allowed to have it and not be totally disenfranchised um, from uh, the rights that they have. Because I'll tell you something: if Bill C seven goes through as it currently is, it will affect. Uh, profoundly hospices and palliative care facilities because um, we fall under the category of dealing with patients who have a foreseeable death. And in the new legislation, people with a foreseeable death um, can ask for MAID and be killed that day. So people who come into a hospice, for example, it is not their best day. You know, they're not feeling well psychologically. They're probably very depressed. And it takes a little bit of time for us to get their symptoms under control, their pain under control, and give them hope again. But when they come in our door at the lowest, their worst day can become their last day. So we don't want hospices to be basically just revolving doors of death. So we want the Senate to step in here and to provide you know, avenues where hospices like ourselves can seek sanctuary. And we will not be bothered by rogue health authorities or ideological governments who think that the only good death is a euthanized death. Is there any steps you want listeners to consider uh, in order to try and make this happen? Or what, what sort of campaigns are you working on at the moment to try and get the Senate to pay attention to this? Yeah, I've, I've tried to become, I want to be a witness in front of the Senate 
at their committees to tell them what's happened to us and why it's so important that they step forward. So we need to lobby. We need to lobby, the, lobby those senators, the senators that are sitting on the committee, um, the, the legal and human rights committee, constitutional committee right now that's looking at the Bill C-7. Um, and we need to ask your listeners as well and your audience to join the Delta Hospice Society. Um, if they would go to our website, it's called Save Delta Hospice. Dot com. Become a member. We are now a national society. By them becoming a member, right on our website, you can, you can become a member for $10. We can get information to them to make them a mighty lobby in this country. Um, a lobby for safe spaces, for sanctuary. Because, you know, we may be the first that this has happened to, but I promise you, we will not be the last. They are coming for hospices. They are coming for palliative care facilities, this whole this whole euthanasia train, um, because apparently we need to be the most permissive country in the world that kills its citizens. So we need to put in this kind of legislation for safe spaces. So if you can become a member of the Delta Hospice Society, we can use we can mobilize that membership to get start lobbying the senators, and then eventually it'll go back to the House. We need to lobby um, the MPs to pass you know, legislation which gives sanctuary, sanctuary to the dying in this country that do not wanna be in a facility that's pushing them for euthanasia. They wanna be left alone in peace to die with their families, uh, to die with God, to die any way they like. That does not include euthanasia. Angelina, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and shed light on this for us. My pleasure, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Angelina Ireland. I can't say that any of you will have enjoyed that conversation, but I hope you did find it enlightening. I hope you realize just how dangerous a suicide, a euthanasia regime is, and I hope you realize the importance of stories like this. You can go to the podcast tab at lifesightnews.com to get more interviews examining different aspects of the culture war. Again, thanks so much for joining us this week, and we do hope that you'll join us again next week.